0: We're listening to the 202 Studio, a podcast series exploring the creative sparks emanating from the District of Columbia. Throughout the series, we'll be talking with artists, humanities practitioners, organizational leaders, and many others. Individuals working behind the scenes and in the spotlight in organizations, studios, and workshops in all eight wards. As we explore the heartbeat of DC's arts, humanities, creativity, and culture. To learn more, Visit dcarts.dc.gov.
1: Welcome to the 202 Studio. From the DC Commission on the Arts and Humanities, I'm Jeffrey Scott. Today we're joined by a DC-based musician and composer whose work spans the genres of rock, jazz, contemporary classical, and folk music, Mr. Ethan Foote. Ethan, welcome. Thank you. Good to be with you. So you're joining us remotely, which is a miracle of modern technology. Uh, you're down <laughs> in Atlanta, Georgia right now, but you are normally you'd be here in Washington, D.C. Uh, where you uh, live and work uh, for a number of years now. That's right. Yeah. So tell me a little bit. I I was reading through uh, your resume. I noticed in college and undergrad, uh, you you majored in uh, English and philosophy, I believe. That's right. Where? Mm-hmm. Where did, where did you come into music along your, your path?
2: Uh, well, I'd been, um, i have been studying and playing music, um, almost my whole life. Mm-hmm. I, I started as a kid, um, on cello. That was my first instrument. I had a very sort of old school demanding Armenian, uh, cello teacher and, uh, That was also uh, at the same time where I was uh, I was taking a music theory class and that was taught by a fellow named Pepe Gonzalez who would go on to become my bass teacher um, a few years later So he happened to be teaching theory at the time and that's how I met him, Uh, but it wouldn't be until a few years later that um, You know, I kind of gave up cello. I didn't like to practice and you know, I I felt very kind of limited by um by only being able to play very kind of standard classical repertoire, which in many ways um was great just in terms of the training and the discipline and the um you know engendering an appreciation for technical uh technical excellence. Um but you know, as you know, I was like thirteen, and my my dad had this bass guitar lying around in the basement, so I started sort of fiddling around on that, and eventually I started taking lessons with Pepe, and then eventually, he was like, you know, you, you ought to try playing upright bass too, so he, um, he, was really the first person to teach me. A lot of what I know about music, just in terms of theory and history and connecting. Uh, all different kinds of music to each other in a way that I was just not aware of, uh, having only studied uh, cello in a very kind of strict, um, traditional classical fashion. So when I was a teenager, I you know I played in high school and my high school jazz ensemble. I was playing in the, you know ensembles outside of school. Uh, the Blues Alley Youth Orchestra was an important factor. Uh, and uh, yeah, I was playing gigs by the time I was I was in high school and took a year off after high school and you know practiced more and did more of that. And um, yeah, by the time I got to college, you know, I knew I would always play music anyway. Um, mm. And I had I had other academic interests that I kind of wanted to pursue, so I kept playing music. Um, and I went to a school, Oberlin College, that has a conservatory. So music was was all around me, and I was playing a lot of music and going to a lot of concerts and taking in music all the time, contemporary music, classical music, jazz, everything. And then and after I graduated, I was kind of like, well, I'm playing music anyway. I want to keep playing music. And I was doing other things as well, um, sort of related to my degree in English, I guess, like teaching, uh, tutoring and some writing and editing work. But... You know, music was really what I cared about. So kind of kept doing that and eventually started doing it, you know, uh, for a living. And that's kind of the, uh, that's it in a nutshell.
1: So was it sort of after college that you really kind of saw music as, as a career path for you or was that
2: earlier on? Do you think, you know, I always kind of knew that it was a potential Um, career path. I think I was fortunate to not have this idea that some musicians have that, you know, you can't make a living from music um, because I knew people who were making a living from music, um, even when I was very young, including my teacher. Um, But it was only really after college that I I felt that that's, that's what I wanted to do. Um, and that I, I felt like I could make a commitment to both, you know, practicing my craft as an artist, um, and simultaneously making a living at, at playing music and, you know, negotiating that whole balance and that dynamic between making art and, and making a living is, you know, that, that continues and that will, you know, that's kind of a permanent condition probably. Um, but I, yeah, it was, it was, you know, it was after college that I, I really took the plunge. Mm
1: -hmm. And it sounds like you you really benefited from both in your, in your teenage high school years. And while you were at Oberlin, that you were exposed to a very eclectic set of musical genres that that's you've sort of continued to encapsulate in your own work.
2: Absolutely. Um, you know, the earliest musical, uh, the earliest kind of music I was exposed to as a kid was, was classical music. Even before I started playing cello, just like, you know, as a a baby, listening to like Mozart and Haydn, um, to fall asleep. So that was kind of, you know, I was like, uh, programmed (laughs) at a pretty young age, uh, with that stuff. And then, you know, my parents had other kinds of music playing around the house, you know, folk music and rock and jazz i guess you know to be frank bass doesn't have the kind of glamour in you know in rock music that guitar has so that was part of the incentive to you know learn yet another genre which was was jazz where bass has you know i mean there's a whole just kind of i guess different attitude with jazz in general um but Mm -hmm. but where bass there just felt like there was more that I could do and more that I could learn. And so, you know, jazz really became and hence continued to, been, to feel like kind of the core of my, my training as a performer. Uh, and then when I was in college, I think that was, um, that was really when I was heavily exposed to 20th century classical music and to the music of living classical composers
1: so along those lines, you've uh, been active in the theater community here as well. That's right. Um, working alongside a number of uh, theater artists and productions uh, to compose or arrange music for for their shows or collaborate mm-hmm. on on their productions. Uh, yeah. How did you first get involved with the theater
2: scene? So, I think around yeah, it was in two thousand eleven. Uh, I was hired to be part of a really kind of interesting and kind of zany production in DC that was, it was a staging, um, like a site-specific uh, mobile uh, staging of a series of micro-fictions by some French author whose name I can't remember. There's a uh, institution in DC, the Alliance Francaise, which is it's like a French cultural institute. They, you know, offer French lessons and sort of cultural programming and stuff like that. And they hired just like a jazz trio to um, sort of be placed around all these locations in the city. And there's like a a walking uh, tour that the, you know, play or theater piece um, uh, that the, the, like a group of people follow it. They, They walk around the city from place to place and these site specific stagings happen. And then some of them had music along with them. So I think there was one in like, there was one in Anacostia. There was one at the Busboys and Poets on uh, on 14th and a few other places. I, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but, you know, I was like, well, this is pretty cool. And uh, so I think that was the first thing. And then I, I met a theater artist named Rachel Hines, and uh, she's still very active in D.C. I just went and saw a piece of hers um, last week, and we did some stuff together, and You know, I was, I just started to feel like, wow, this is really like flexing a muscle that, um, you know, that I hadn't used before, but at the same time feels very natural to me. Um, I had a background in, an academic background in literature and I studied theater and I've always loved, you know, reading plays and also going to theater. So it was really exciting to be, to be part of that process where I could be musical, but also be, um, be, you know, applying other sort of artistic abilities and, um, and just kind of another, another side of my brain at the same time. Uh, so collaborating with theater theater artists has been, um, has been another very kind of DC centric, uh, thing that I've done. And there was this, the source festival, which I'm not sure is running anymore, but in 20, let's see, 2013 did another really fun collaboration, um, through them and, we remounted that in twenty fifteen, um, and there have been scattered other things, but but definitely theater has been uh, yet another kind of <laughs> um, pot on the stove for for me and something that's been really enjoyable and that's really deepened my connections uh, in DC.
1: So you've received uh, several arts and humanities fellowship grants from the commission, mm-hmm. uh, over the past several years. Uh, tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, the, this particular grant is uh, sort of a, a, general support grant for artists and humanities practitioners uh, mm-hmm. that can be used for a variety of expenses. Um, so how have you used those grant funds, uh, uh, towards your work?
2: I've used them for, uh, all sorts of, all sorts of uh, things, really. I mean, that's what I like. What I think is so great about the arts and humanities fellowship grant is that it's just like a, a lump sum that they trust the artist to do with, um, you know, what what the artist thinks is appropriate. So whether that's like, you know, let's say I, I as a musician, I need to if I'm going to put on a concert, then I want to hire a really good musicians to play with me, having having funds from the commission allows me to do that and allows just a higher level of uh, concert that I can put on. And also, uh, DC is an expensive place to live. So it helps me pay my rent and it helps me buy groceries. Uh, so there's really a wide spectrum of, um, of uses for money, if you want to put it that way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as we all know, it's, you know, this is not a lucrative profession that we're in, uh, So, you know, having the support can, can mean so many different things depending on where, you know, what an artist's situation is at a given point in time. So for me, I've, I've used it for explicitly artistic purposes, like, you know, concerts, or uh, recording projects, or, um, or just studying my craft as a composer, um, in particular over the past couple years. And I've also just, Also applied those funds just to be able to live as an artist in DC. Mm -hmm.
1: I think that's a really good point that you bring up about the the potential to use those grant funds to hire and pay other artists that Mm -hmm. you're working with. So that you know, although you know the commission, the, the DC government may be making the the grant. Only to one specific individual, that money has the potential to, uh, depending on how that individual wants to use it, go out and support many other uh, local artists in their work as well. Uh, so it really is a it can have a a wide wider uh, effect in our local creative community.
2: Absolutely, it's it's a very effective investment, uh, if you want to put it that way. Just in terms of, you know, artists are always interacting. Uh, economically with other artists so it's it's a very wise and you know uh, it's an investment that you know continues to to pay dividends um just anytime you're anytime you need to put on a production of any kind whether it's performing arts or or visual arts or or whatever lots of people um need to be involved so that money is you know um goes out through the artistic community and the and the arts economy for sure so being a a
1: a native washingtonian uh and a musician what tell me about what your your views on the dc music scene uh are how 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 is have you seen the dc music scene grow and develop uh over time and and where do you see it going from here
2: well, I mean, the you know, the city has changed a lot since the time I was growing up. I, I still have trouble getting used to it sometimes um, just because, you know, I'll go to some part of town that's, you know, totally different from um, from what I was used to growing up or from at least from what my perception of it was at the time. And there's just tons of new people. Um, and, you know, a lot of that is, uh, has been really great in terms of, uh, a new uh, expanded audience for culture in the district and for the arts and um you know dc has always had uh, a vibrant music scene and a vibrant art scene um a, a positive trend that i'm seeing is that it's just more diverse now there's there's more different there there more kinds of art being made um it's not all kind of at the it's, it's a little less top heavy, I guess, as maybe it used to be. I mean, there was always, you know, you had the Kennedy Center and, you know, National Symphony Orchestra and the Washington National Opera um, institutionally kind of um, uh, heavy arts in, in the district, which is great. And which is very important in and of itself. Uh, and then you had a much more sort of, you had a DIY scene uh, and you had, you know, clubs and stuff. And my sense is that there's starting to be more of a more of a middle ground and a lot more kind of experimentation with um, with how the arts can figure into the the broader life of the city. Um, and you know, it's great to see um, certain you know indigenous DC art forms continue to thrive. Uh, you know, like go go or something like that. Um, and, you know, the the jazz scene, uh, it, you know, it's unfortunate that some of these clubs on, on U Street have closed and stuff, but there's still a ton of great players. Um, there's still a ton of great players coming up in D.C., um, you know, kids who just have have learned at, you know, local area high schools and then also people moving to D.C. Um, and it's, it's raised the, the caliber of playing. And uh, so it's, yeah, it continues to be really vibrant and then my experience with the the new music uh, contemporary classical music scene in DC is that it too is um is growing and becoming stronger and you know sort of developing um an identity of its own. So that's a really encouraging thing to see. Uh so yeah, I mean it's there's a lot going on. There's kind of something for everyone and there's also you know kind of sense of generosity and a desire to communicate, um, between musicians and composers and artists, um, in different musical genres or different areas of, of, music making. And I think that's really important too, um, that we all kind of think of ourselves as one musical community that we can all learn from and benefit from each other's artistic endeavors. Um, obviously, while still sort of respecting the inherent differences in how we make music, um, but, but all kind of being uh, friends and allies in the, the broader goal of, of making DC a, a home for the arts. And, you know, being someone who plays lots of different kinds of music and has had a foot in a lot of different scenes. Um, I can say personally that I've learned and grown as an artist from all different kinds of musical encounters and also from encounters between music and other art forms like my, my work in theater. Um, so it's just, you know, something about DC that um, I'm not sure is true of other places that people in different genres in different areas of artistic work and um, musical work and artistic work more broadly talk to each other and um are eager to learn from each other and and to collaborate
1: and it it seems to me my observation is that there's there's a a large degree of uh not not just crossover collaboration but but fusion of different styles and genres mm-hmm. of music so you know a lot of groups are you you can't label them necessarily as one particular style you can't say that they're they're rock or they're they're folk or or whatever because they're blending you know so many different things into what they do to create something that's more unique and Mm -hmm. and really i think reflective of the district of being a very multicultural multinational national city with Mm -hmm. folks from all over the country and all over the globe coming to live here uh is that something that you see as well
2: definitely i mean you know uh, there are so many good musicians and people are just excited to play with each other. And like the kind of uh, the fact that, you know, well, my genre is different from yours um, is more like a kind of creative challenge than um, a limitation these days. Um, So, yeah, I mean, people are just, people just, I love to play with other good musicians and, you know, genre wise, they find a way to make it work. So I've, yeah, I've observed that. I'm constantly observing that. Um, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it works better than others. Um, you know, some sometimes genres or people's playing styles or the traditions they come from can't necessarily be melded, but sometimes they can. And, you know, the the overall process, even when it's not totally successful, is still beneficial and healthy for um uh, for the arts as a whole. So yeah, I mean, just, you've got people from all over the country, you've got people from all over the world, you've got all different kinds of audiences and uh, just, yeah, just a enthusiasm among good musicians for, um, an, an appreciation and an enthusiasm for other good musicians, you know, among the music scene and a desire to learn from again and, and, and create with um, all different kinds of people.
1: And there's always, you know, we, we talk about music as being sort of a universal language for for people that mm-hmm. you can express your feelings, your emotions, your ideas through music in ways that maybe you can't through spoken language or written language. Mm-hmm. Where, what are some of the, the things that you as a, you know, you've, you've gotten more into, to composition, uh, in recent years, I know. And so what are some of the things that that you are working on currently or, or ideas that you have for your own future and
2: career as an artist? Well, so over the past couple of years, I've really kind of taken a turn toward, um, composition as such, and composing basically in the, you know, the Western classical tradition, and then sort of specifically in a contemporary idiom, Um, and, you know, when I first started doing that, I was kind of under the impression that like, well, this is just totally uncharted territory for me. Um, I like, you know, listening to 20th century and 21st century classical music, but, you know, my jazz training and my, my classical classical training is only going to prepare me so much because this is just a whole new ball game. And to a large extent, that's true. I mean, understanding music theory and just the the process of composition, um, is kind of a whole new thing in this, in this arena. And yet the more I do it, uh, the more I'm struck by how much I actually can draw on my past musical experience. Um, just in terms of the structure of a composition or just, yeah, how the elements within it come together. Uh, You know, there's some stuff in music that really is just totally universal and that, you know, it's it's surprisingly easy to lose track of. Like in any any kind of music, you can have like, Mm -hmm. oh, it's, there's a fast part and then a slow part or You know, you can have all the instruments doing one thing, or you can have them all doing different things, or you can have half of them doing one thing and half of them doing the other. Um, And you know, it's kind of it's it's amusing almost to to kind of encounter these uh, very sort of simple um, universal tenets of of music making, even in in this sort of realm of of classical composition that I initially thought to be so sort of alien to uh you know to my like songwriting craft or the way i would write and play jazz um and it's really not so yeah it's 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 become both kind of it's got a kind of cycle of familiarity and 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 newness which has been really really encouraging and and energizing um and And as far as, you know, where I'm, where I'm going from here, I mean, I'll, I'll always be the kind of musician and composer that, that wants to be doing different things. So, you know, I'd really like to, um, to do some new jazz work in the year ahead and to, you know, do some great concert programming in, in DC. And I have no doubt that that will be informed by all the kind of focus I've put on classical composition over the past couple years. Um, because, and most of this takes place subconsciously, but just anytime I'm growing or developing in sort of one area of, of music, whether that's performance or composition, it's, it's going to turn up. Um, it's going to turn up in another. So like, you know, the jazz and classical thing, a lot of my jazz compositions, um, have come to be informed by my study of classical composition and and vice versa. Um, and my playing as a jazz musician, I mean, even if I'm just kind of on a gig uh, at a jam session or something, I've come to understand um, improvised music much differently having studied composed music. So in the case of jazz, um, I've come to kind of, you know, to, to oversimplify a, a bit Um, but not, not that much really, you know, jazz can be about more than just like soloing over a set of changes. It can be more, it can be more than just kind of that, that limited view of harmony, which I think sometimes we as jazz musicians get, get a little trapped in. I mean, just to think about orchestration, for instance, um, and, and color and timbre, um, in, in just on a, on a, any given jazz gig is something that my, my study of classical composition, I think has, has given me. So that's been another exciting sort of surprise. Um, that's, that's very welcome. And that, you know, it's something that, um, started in one area of my musical life and, and has popped up in another, and it's yeah, just really delightful to, to see.
1: Yeah. You've very much taken a, a- a a multi-genre, multidisciplinary approach to your own work, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, drawing on all these different backgrounds and and styles to inform what it is that you do. Um, What would you say to uh, younger musicians coming up? Any kind of advice or words of wisdom?
2: I think you have to always have a balance of respect for a tradition or a school or a way of learning and also an understanding that, you know, you are your own musician, you are your own artist and, um, you know, you will contribute to, to music and to the arts by, by being yourself. But in order to do that again, you have to learn the craft. So it sounds a little cliche, but I guess I'm a a big believer in, you know, you have to learn the rules before you can break them. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I guess the other thing I would say is, you know, don't be afraid to experiment. Don't be afraid to re-envision what what your musical life, your musical practice, your artistic practice can look like and what your artistic community um, can look like. And, you know, don't be afraid to take risks. Um, Don't be afraid to reconsider and think of things anew, and also to, to reach across genres and categories and to just try to learn from as many different places as you can to, to find as many sources of of learning as possible, because there are so many out there and there might be more than you uh, initially believe.
1: Well, Ethan, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Um, I think you're doing some some really really interesting work, and it's it's great to to hear uh, how you are really crossing styles and genres, and and even just artistic disciplines going between music and theater and, and drawing on your literary backgrounds and and everything like that. So, uh, we wish you all the best, and uh, we look forward to seeing uh, what what more you have in store for us. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to the 202 Studio, a podcast series of the D.C. Commission on the Arts and Humanities. Thanks to the commissioners and staff of the Commission on the Arts and Humanities, the Office of Cable, Television, Film, Music, and Entertainment, and special thanks to our mayor, Muriel Bowser, for her support of the arts and humanities in the District of Columbia. And thanks to you for listening today.